1: or your life to the next level. Today, I am really excited to have my guest, Hesha Abrams. And please let me tell you about her background. It's so impressive. She is a professional peacemaker and internationally acclaimed master attorney, mediator, negotiator, and author, known for crafting highly creative settlements and resolutions in very difficult matters. With 30 plus years in the trenches of resolving human conflict, she has recently distilled her skills into an easy to use toolkit. Her new book, Holding the Calm, the secret to resolving conflict and diffusing tension. Through stories and examples, she shares the secrets enabling anyone to learn how to approach tense examples, tense situations to prevent explosions, disarm conflicts and reduce drama. It is her mission to help make our world, our businesses, our relationships less acrimonious and more harmonious. Our title or theme for today is going to be dealing with conflict in the workplace. (laughs) We know we've got that by holding (laughs) the calm. Please join me in welcoming my guest, Hesha Abrams. Hesha, such a feature? timely topic. You know, um, the last three years have brought even more different, different tensions and things in the office because you have people coming back to work. Maybe they don't want to be back to work. Uh, they, managers trying to negotiate what this new environment should look like and, um you know, the things that are all going around in the world today that as we were talking about earlier. So holding the calm seems to be like a great idea, but you do need a toolkit to be able to do that. You you yeah. definitely, you know, our bless our parents' souls, but they did not in a lot of cases arm us with the tools to manage this. So, uh, before we get into all the deep discussion that I would like to have today, I ask everyone to just give a simple question or answer to a question of where do you call home? Where do
2: you live? Uh, I'm in uh, today, I'm in Sarasota, Florida. I tend to be in lots of places, but today, (laughs) there. All right.
1: Sarasota, the um, pirates play uh, their. spring camp or whatever ball there. I remember that from growing up (laughs) originally from Pittsburgh. All right. So what was the inspiration that led you on this journey to write this book and to be this driving force of change?
2: Well, I'll tell you what, I am not a kumbaya gentle, easy (laughs) soul. I am a hot, fiery, passionate person and I have a hot temper. And so I've been battling that my whole life because yeah. it doesn't do in a conflict to say, "Vicky, you're an idiot. Let me explain it to you. Let me tell you where you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. I think we all have flat foreheads because we bash our faces against the wall <laughs> so much. You know? And so learning how to do this, and I've had a laboratory for 30 years to do I mean, I mediated the ownership of the secret recipe for Pepsi. I'd worked for Google and IBM and NVIDIA and Apple and Facebook and and thousands of regular businesses and people. And I tell you, sometimes whose roommate's cat peed on the rug can be harder than a billion dollar case (laughs) because it's all people. Yeah, And I'm being asked to give speeches and stuff like that. And I would always give speeches and people would say, Oh my God, you've got to write a book. People need this information. And I would say, who had time to write a book? You know, I work all the time. There was no time for this. And um, I had a hysterectomy two years ago, knock on wood, everything's fine, but I was grounded for six weeks and I had never, I've worked since I was 14 years old. So I've never been grounded. I thought, okay. And the book (laughs) poured out of me because yeah. most of the books that are out there are philosophical. You know, you, you adopt this approach and then they promise a panacea of what your world <laughs> you know, can be. And I read a lot of them and say, that would never mm. work. Yeah. That's a fantasy that would work with 10% of the people. I mean, in my world, I deal with real stuff like you do, like everyone yeah. listening. You don't want something that should work. You want something that actually does work, which means you can't be Pollyanna. You can't be Kumbaya because that's not the world. There is no win-win problem solving to the Super Bowl, right? It's just not the way it goes. So how do you identify self-interest? How do you align that self-interest? How do you, we always try for a warm piece. Of course you do. You'll get it 10% of the time, 15% of the time. So the other 85 or 90, it'll be a cold piece. Okay, mm-hmm. we can live with that. So how do you do things pragmatically and realistically, given that people have egos, they have yeah. amygdala's, they have hurts and traumas, they have low skill sets. That's why I put this into this simple $15 little paperback. So people can go, ah, finally, I have a fork. <laughs> you know, I've been using, yeah. I've been, you know, using a, using a stick. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So the, as you were talking, it two two memories came across my mind. One, I worked for a trucking company for most of my career, and so uh, when you were describing uh, the beating in the head against the wall and the the way things were handled, uh, the my first years in that were quite quite. <laughs> Quite educational
2: in that respect. Educational, exactly. <laughs> yes, educational. <laughs> That's such a nice word for saying uh, you got the stuff and beaten out of you. Educational. Yeah, yeah, educational. <laughs> but it was funny,
1: as time went on, my style of dealing with people, my style of dealing with the conflict actually was uh, working better than beating people over the head with the hammer. And so was called upon quite often to do that. During the pandemic, though, I was supporting people in California, living here in Georgia, and I had a conflict arise there. And as I was mediating between the two parties, I knew there was no win-win that was going to happen, that both parties were going to suffer from the consequences of their decision. And I was just trying to give them insights and guidance so that they would arrive at the less painful of it. And um, so it did not turn out in their best interest. But again, lessons learned and, uh, you know, nobody was put in jail or died from it. So I guess that's a win.
2: Well, that's and you're wise to think like that because I mediated a case years and years ago, probably 20 years ago, and it was a manufacturer. And the client was complaining that things weren't manufactured right. And he was getting all upset. And he said to me, best is the enemy of better. And I said, that's crazy. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That we all want to be best. We all, we, we and we <laughs> should, it should be our standard. We should go for the best. And I have spent years thinking about that. Hot darn, but he was right. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you want to improve something, you do it in small, incremental mm-hmm. steps. That's the yeah. only way it lasts. It's the same way with dieting. You could lose 20 pounds, boom, boom, and you'll gain it right back. Yeah. So everything is small, incremental. I, in the book, I call it small, winnable victories. Yeah. You, try, you try for that. You don't solve the big, huge one. You dissolve problems from the mm-hmm. outside by creating small, winnable victories. Then you also create relationships, alliances. The enemy mm-hmm. of my enemy is my friend. It is just a much more pragmatic Mm -hmm. way of seeing the world that is a jungle. Our world is a jungle. It is difficult. It is challenging. There are narcissists. There are traumatized people. There are emotionally immature people. There are Mm -hmm. power grabbers. You're not going to sit down and change someone's mind or change their outlook. It's just not going to happen. So what's the definition of a win and how can you get there? yeah I'm telling people this is what I do for a living, and I settle things all the time that are impossible, can never be done. And if you use these tools and things, you can. yeah, you because can.
1: and and as you were saying early on that you know you are dealing with people's egos and and people still, um, you know, from again, going back to what we grew up with, we hate to fail. We hate to lose. And, and so if we don't win, we think we've lost,
2: but you know, it, it, is that the case? And and it's, this is interesting. Neuroscientists have proven this. Uh, I want to buy apples. They're 25 cents each. How many should I buy? I don't know. I'd like apples. I'll buy a couple apples four for a dollar, you get a 35% boost in sales. Now that's just stupid and completely illogical, and the two apples you wanted, two will rot in the refrigerator. (laughs) 35% boost in sales. And you want another 10% boost in sales? Limit two. Ah. It's fascinating, Mm -hmm. human psychology, how we make decisions, why we make the decisions. And I'll tell you, it's not so much that we don't want to lose. It's that we don't want to lose publicly. Uh, No one wants to be the schmo. Mm You can lose privately and no one will really know about it. The the number, the the burn rate goes way down. But uh, there was a guy named um, uh, Daniel Kahneman, who's a big psychologist, and he won a Nobel Prize in economics for proving that the rational man theory of economics doesn't work. (laughs) There is no such thing as a rational man. And he proved it psychologically. And what they proved is that about 85% of people would rather not lose than have the desire to win. Now, when they talk, they will talk as if they want to win. But what they're really doing is protecting the soft candy center inside so they don't lose. Mm -hmm. And so when you're talking to somebody, you can try to figure out what's their end game. How are they trying to win? But how are they trying to not lose? Yeah. What are they protecting? What are they guarding? Mm-hmm. What is more important to them? You talk to people and you're, yeah, you do listening, reflective feedback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is kind of like saying, brush your teeth. Yes, you do all of that. And then you listen underneath using some of these tricks I've got, these tools. Now I know a lot about you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to frame my arguments. Chapter one of the book is speak into the ears that are hearing you. Mm. Why would I talk to you the same as I would talk to Joe or Jamel? Why? That makes no sense at all and has nothing to do with gender diversity or cultural diversity or all this wonderful DEI stuff that we're doing that Mm. God knows we need to do. And all white women don't think the same. It would be obnoxious for me to look at you and pigeonhole you or African-American men or Latino women. That's my shirt. We're not looking at my shirt. That's just crazy town. And I can listen to you. I mean, I've been doing it a long time, so I can do it in a minute or two. But if you are just a regular person who's interacted in life within 15, 20 minutes, you'll know exactly what you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And I can, can I give your audience just a couple of parameters to think about? Sure. Absolutely. So as you're listening to me and you're listening to Vicky, who's the introvert and who's the extrovert? It's pretty easy, right? Vicky's the introvert, I'm the extrovert. And you've been listening to us for what? Two, three minutes? Mm -hmm. That's pretty easy. Here's another, and you wouldn't talk to an extrovert the same as you would an introvert, would you? Mm -hmm. Exactly. It just sounds stupid, and yet Mm -hmm. we don't because we don't think about that. How about this? Big picture person versus tiny little detail analytical person. Oh, right, right. Huge, now you're a big picture person, so you're going to talk to somebody big picture and go with your gut. And then you may be a person that says, I'm, I'm a, I analyze data. I move slowly and cautiously and carefully, and I want to make Mm -hmm. sure it's accurate. So it's like noticing what is important to the other person. In addition to it being a phenomenal tool, and I've got stuff in the book to show you how to do that easily. It also makes the other person feel like you really, really are listening to them, listening to understand, and see them and hear them. And then therefore they matter. And when people feel like they matter, let their guards down, they're willing to be vulnerable, they're willing to interchange. And I'm telling our listeners, the toughest pieces of meat, the toughest, this can work on. And Mm. then what I say to people, just to be fair, Let's say it works on 80, 85% of people. Okay. So 10, 15%, you're just gonna have to have strong boundaries with or strong restrictions. Okay, fine. But who doesn't want an 85% yeah, success rate? Right. Absolutely. So it's best is the enemy of better. Just yeah. get better.
1: And the thing that I think w- really resonates with this is that you this is really how you build good relationships. This is how you start this is not just tools to use when the the heat has arisen Mm
2: -hmm. this is
1: really something that you everyone should be doing all the time as you interact with people and therefore you may never have to get to that conflict
2: Mm -hmm. I mean conflict is is a reality but still well notice what I named the book it's a little longer than I would like holding the calm, the secret to resolving conflict and diffusing tension. Yeah. And I did that on purpose because 100% of conflict starts with tension. Yeah. I, I, 100% of it. And the tension can be or it can be, hmm hmm mm-hmm, which is actually worse and harder to deal with when the person runs away or shuts down. So the analogy I like to use is wet spaghetti sauce. Everyone has dripped it on the okay. counter. You take a sponge, you wipe it right up. It's not a big deal. You leave it overnight. You're scraping it off with a knife. You leave it three or four months or three or four years, and it's old and moldy and nasty. Now, it can still be cleaned. It's just going to take more time and effort. And so the question is, we all know when there's tension. We're not idiots. We have Geico counters in our little brains that go, ooh, (laughs) problem, Will Robinson. Oh, God, you know, And but we don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. We're afraid we're going to make it worse. So we just kind of close our eyes like an Mm -hmm. ostrich, stick our head in the ground and hope it goes away. And I'm here to tell you friends, it never goes away. (laughs) It gets stored like nuts for the winter. And when it comes out, it always comes out at the most inappropriate time and inconvenient time. Right. Whenever I heard that story in
1: one of your uh, videos, I thought right away, those, those spaghetti stains that are spaghettis that have been there for weeks or months is a stain. And that stain, you might wipe it up, but that stain is still there. Every time you pass it by, you just pick it at you.
2: Indeed. Yeah. And I tell people have some grace for God's sakes. You know, this human experience is a booger. It's no. hard. Nobody gets out of this life unscathed. Now, Some people are wounded and harmed much more than others that we all know, but nobody, first of all, nobody gets out of here alive and nobody gets out of here unscathed. Mm -hmm. So along the way, there's just lots of lessons. And I love that Zen saying, you know, you don't tell the character of a person by how many times they fell down, but by how many times they got up. And I... I. I like that. I like the idea of continual improvement, which obviously all of your listeners and watchers do, or they wouldn't be watching this. They'd be watching football games somewhere. (laughs) So the fact that you have people listening and watching, they're wanting these things. And that's why I wrote the book, because you all deserve this. You know, you deserve to have glasses that go, oh my God, I didn't know how good I could see. I didn't know what else I could do. So we touched on this a little bit, but how
1: explain why arguing and persuading really doesn't work in in these situations?
2: Very good. So let's just do a quick little neuroscience um, explanation. We all have something called an amygdala. It's two small kidney-shaped organs in the base of the skull, right above the brainstem. It's often called the reptilian brain, the dinosaur brain. It's the part of you that does fight flight or freeze you see something in the in the road is it a stick is it food or is it a snake your amygdala will decide in a billionth of a second that's a nanosecond a billionth of a second and then you will seek confirming data to support your hypothesis Mm -hmm. and then you take action and it's not always right as Mm -hmm. we know but that's how the brain works and so the number one thing when your amygdala gets triggered is first you become defensive and fearful and the the prefrontal cortex, which is here underneath the forehead, literally shuts down. So good cognitive thought isn't even possible anymore. So that's why people argue, they don't wanna hear the facts, they don't wanna know. So what you're doing is the amygdala shuts down because it feels powerless. Mm. Someone is trying to make me do something I don't want to do, or I'm trying to make you do something and you won't do it. And so there's this power dynamic that Mm -hmm. happens. So when the amygdala feels powerless, the antidote to that poison is to give power, but we don't do that. We say, calm down. What's wrong with you? Let me explain it to you because clearly (laughs) you're not smart enough. You're not educated enough. You don't know what you're talking about. I am going to enlighten you. Well, all that does to the amygdala is go powerless, 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 get away from me. And that's why good negotiators know that in any setting, the first thing I'm gonna do is give away power. When would you like to start? Where would you like to sit? When would you like to begin? What are the issues most important to you? What, What do you want to deal with? What is of most concern to you? It's all irrelevant, but it's power. Mm. And people get into situations and they go, me, me, mine, and they grab power. Good negotiators give it away on the small stuff. Now you set the stage and you're not friend or foe. You get out of that dynamic. Now we can sit on the same side of the table and evaluate the problem Mm. on this side of the table. And I've got all kinds of techniques and things in the book about how to do that. You know, plural pronouns is one of them because it allows the amygdala to calm down and Mm. then you can get stuff done. And this works if you're not a calm person. And I say to our audience, I am a hot, fiery person. (laughs) And if it works for me,
0: it works for for you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. So you
1: eloquently state that our society needs more civilized discussion and dispute resolution. And you added that by holding the calm, we can be the civilizing force, a force of good. So you started to touch on this just now, but paint a picture of what civilizing force looks like. Oh, God and sounds
2: like it, and (laughs) what is the byproduct of it? Isn't that beautiful? What a beautiful thought. So let me start by painting the alternative. In half the world, Mm -hmm. conflict is resolved by burning down your store, breaking your legs, kidnapping your kid, and it's happening right now. You know, that's the the horrible things that are happening in Israel right now. So that's how people resolve things civilized people use words, they use arguments, they listen and collaborate. And unless Vicki, you're a crazy person, I should make the assumption that you have reasons why you think what you think. Even though it's completely different for me, even though it may threaten my amygdala, unless I can put you in the in the category of psychotic weirdo, which, okay, we're just gonna ignore that, you have reasons for your positions, yeah. and my telling you you're stupid, wrong, uneducated, ill informed, is never going to persuade anybody yeah. of anything. No, but and we know the law the the law of um, unintended consequences operates. Which actually, I just thought of a, a quick story that um, I did not put this one in the book, but oh, this is, go for what we're bonus. talking about, so bonus <laughs> points. Um, and this is true a true story. Uh, during the Vietnam War, uh, there was an outbreak, and I can't remember if it was cholera or smallpox, but terrible outbreak, and the United States sent vaccinations over, and all of South Vietnam was vaccinated. Well, the North wasn't, and they didn't want any of it. Well, there was a MASH unit, a, um, a medical unit, right on the border— and they said, this is ridiculous, this stupid lines drawn on a map. We're doctors and we're humans and we have extra vaccine. So they went over as doctors and they met with the, uh, the um, Viet Cong leadership and explained all of this and said, who cares about our stupid leaders? We're just gonna inoculate you guys. And they said, get away from us, you American devils. We hate you and we don't want any of your stuff We won't kill you if you leave right now. And so they were shaken and they left. And then they thought to themselves, you know, that was the men. The women would definitely want the vaccinations. Why don't we wait until the men are on a raid and we'll just go in and vaccinate the women and children. And at least we've done that. And then we feel good about ourselves, right? So that is, in fact, what they did. The men came home from the raid and, you know, that leaves a mark on the arm. And they saw that and they were enraged. So they called in all of the women and all of the children, which were their their women and their children. And they took a machete and they chopped off the arms that had the vaccination mark. And the doctors woke up the next morning to see a giant tarp of bloody limbs outside their camp. Law of unintended consequences. And that's why you have to be so careful Self-righteousness is a poison.
1: Mm.
2: Now, confidence is good. You know, the the whole thing you're preaching here is confidence, but confidence has a line and a continuum before it becomes arrogance and then self-righteousness. And that is the path to hell, my friends. So allowing that the other person might have a little bit of correctness in their point of view. There might be some value to what they have to say, it just cracks the door open that much. And they may or may not persuade you, but if you listen, you can also avoid a mistake for you mm-hmm. that you're making or a third, fourth, fifth, ninth solution can come out that no one ever thought about. Right. Simply because that civilized dialogue is there, which is literally what I do for a living. I walk into conference rooms of type A personality lawyers all the time, from the biggest muckety-muck companies and the biggest muckety-muck schools who say it can't be done. It's just, it's impossible, it can't be done. And I use these tools and techniques and I settle almost everything I do. And they're shocked afterwards. But (laughs) when you take a position and you are so wedded to your position, it's it's the amygdala is triggered and neuroscientists call it ocular occlusion and auditory exclusion. Which is just fancy words for saying tunnel vision and you shut your ears down. Yeah. So, whenever I do a training, and you may want to use this when you do your training, yeah. I tell people, and if you're watching us now and you're not driving, <laughs> you could try this. <laughs> Take your hands and you put them like that and get rid of your peripheral, vi- vi- yeah. peripheral vision. You just reduced your vision by like 70%. Mm-hmm. That's what happens when the amygdala is triggered. Your eyes shut down, your ears shut down. You can only see and hear the funneled information that you have already subscribed to. So you can't say you're wrong. Let me give you facts. Let me give you information. Let me show you. You're just pouring water on dry rocks. But if you take a step back, hold the calm, try some of these tools that I'm trying to share and teach people, all of a sudden the world is bigger mm-hmm. right more open more possibilities happen from which you can pick to then create something that is either great or something you can live with either way that awesome. continuum works awesome
1: so uh, uh, time's flying <laughs> <laughs> i will definitely have to have you back again But how do you calm yourself down when you're in that triggered situation? Do you, and I'm talking you personally, you Miss Extrovert, (laughs) firecracker (laughs) of a gal, of a gal, you know, something happens
2: to you. How do you keep from bursting right away? It's terrific because um, I have failed many times and (laughs) each time I fail, I'm ashamed of myself. I'm upset with myself and I've gotten better and better and better. I'm going to be 65 next week. And I feel like I've gotten decent and maybe I'll have it down by the time I'm 70. (laughs) That's my (laughs) continuous improvement. But the reason I call the book holding the calm is because that's what I do. And I use it as a mantra or a talisman for myself as a magic beads. Because think about this, you do something that just ticks me off, or I'm tired, or I'm hungry, or I'm in pain, i pulled out my back, or I'm not getting my own way, or whatever other human thing I'm having to deal with. I've trained myself to say, I'm holding the calm, I'm holding the calm, I'm holding the calm. It takes two seconds. And what it does is it says to my amygdala, oh, you're not powerless, sweetie. No, 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 no. You've got power. You've got power. Now, what do you choose to do? How do you choose to respond? It creates a moat between, like we all feel our emotions in our chest gripping Mm -hmm. us, right? It creates a moat between that and the feeling and in that space, you can think, you can breathe. And that's why I call the book that because that's what it does for me. And sometimes I still fail, but afterwards I'll say, gosh, damn, I had a golden hammer, you know, mm-hmm. or a golden, you know, laser tool. And then the more I remember, the more I remember I have this tool, then it makes me feel powerful. And mm-hmm. everyone who reads this book and I tell people, put the sentence stems I give you on a post-it note put them in a note on your phone. So at the moment of some, you've got it when you use it and it works and sit back and go, look at me, I am powerful. That was amazing. Cause I know how it would have gone down had Mm -hmm. I not done this, this or this. And it, I'm telling you, if you want to feel powerful at work, this is the stuff you do.
1: Yeah. Well, it has been wonderful chatting with you. And again, I do want to have you back because we can talk for another hour, I'm sure. (laughs) I want to give people the opportunity to get your contact information. So as always, I'm going to share the screen. If you are just listening and you haven't been taking notes, I'm so sorry, Um, but you can watch this again as the replay. This is Hesha's contact information. Those listening can go to website which is https colon forward slash forward slash www holdingthecalm.com again that's holding the on facebook she's at hesha abrams holding the calm that's with initial caps linkedin is hesha dash abrams esquire uh youtube just look up hesha and uh, abrams and you'll find her i'll let hesha talk to you about her call to action for you all when you visit
2: the website what you'll find so uh i have all kinds of free stuff on there because i want you to get good at this stuff just because it will make your life better yeah. and all your relationships better so i have little one minute videos that you can forward on to people um and uh you can sign up for it and i send out all kinds of freebie information all the time. I don't sell the list. I'm not interested in doing any of that. Um, and uh, if you link with me on LinkedIn, I post three times a week on LinkedIn, some little tidbit of you know, whatever new thing I learned or something that happened that hopefully you'll find things that people tell me all the time that resonate with them. And then you yeah. say, I'm going to try that. And that's what I would love. And I'd love to hear from you. You know, Feel free to, I, I respond to all the all the emails that I get. And I hope this stuff works for you and that your life gets richer
1: and richer and richer. Awesome. Again, that website is holdingthecom.com. Well, Hesha, it has been really wonderful. Um, that, as in my experience, I will tell everyone out there that the things that she's explaining for you to do do, in fact, work. You should get her book. It is always. Something you never know when the situation's going to come up. So, having that thing to reference, to get comfortable with, start doing in your life, as I mentioned, you know, understand that this is how you build strong relationships and that's what makes the world a better place, right? So, thank you again for being such a wonderful guest. As always, I remind everyone that life is a journey and it's up to you to enjoy the ride. This is Vicki Nethling signing off.